Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. As you get seated and wrap up those conversations, Alan Pearson's going to come up and he'll lead us in our scripture reading this morning. And it's the same scripture reading as last week, so uh, you you might feel like you've heard this before, and you have. So this is from Acts chapter 2. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alan. All right, friends. Well, let me share with us for uh, the next little bit on uh, some things both happening in the parish community and and how we want to continue to walk into the season that's ahead. And so this morning is a little bit of leftovers. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes you open up the fridge and you're like, I could make a meal or, you know, I've got some stuff in here that's that's still probably good, probably being the key word. Um, And uh, and then if you're like me, like I know some of you uh, you know, need to see a therapist because you have this need to keep all of your, you know, parts of the meal separate, nothing touching. But then there's people like me who are like, mix it all together, throw some cheese in because that just like binds it all together. And, and now we've got a whole new meal, um, you know, so throw the spaghetti in with the taco meat and there's no way it's going to go wrong. Uh, when you mix leftovers together, it's important to start with the freshest meal because then you have the least likelihood of getting physically ill at the end of it. And so we'll start with the leftovers from last week, our, our freshest meal, so to speak. I want to catch us up on some things we talked about last week. If you were not here last week, uh, we shared some really important things that are happening in the life of the parish some ways that we're going to enter into the next season of church life together. If you have not heard that, I really want to encourage you to listen to the podcast from last week. You can just find us on uh, the Apple Podcasts or, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We don't normally do that, but this week it's important enough, or last week it's important enough that we want to make sure everybody's on the same page and walking forward with, with unity on that. But I will give us a little bit of a catch-up so that we're all on the same page this morning, uh, but you'll get more context if you listen to the podcast from last week. And so in the verses that Alan just read, um, we get these core practices of the early church, the apostles' teaching, the community, the shared meals, and the prayers. And they meet together day by day. They spend time at temple, and they break bread at home. They share of themselves. They share of their stuff. And the Jesus way that emerges forms the Jesus community. 
And that's our hope, that we might live into the Jesus way in such a way that it makes a new community here, that we, we embrace these simple and spirit-empowered ways of loving God and neighbor in everyday, ordinary life. Uh, much of what we see here is just very, very ordinary. And so we took these verses last week, and then we applied them to our church community here at the parish. And as we come out of this season of pandemic and isolation and looking for a new facility and refinding our footing again after leadership transition, uh, we wanted to sit with some discernment questions, some questions for how do we move forward as a community. And so these are the questions that we wrestled with. You know, moving forward, how can we be as faithful as possible? To Christ and what it means to be the church of Jesus in the world? And then what gaps exist between our modern expression of church and the historic witness of Christian community? And then what do we all need and hunger for in this new season? And as we wrestled with those questions, some themes emerged, and the themes are these, meaningful community, we hunger for real relationships on the other side of isolation and division, uh, faithful presence, what does it look like for us to show up to our wider community, loving our neighbors well, things like hospitality, things like justice, things like mission, things like compassion, things like outreach. And then deeper formation, that we want to be formed into the image of Jesus. For, for my money, that is the point and purpose of the Christian life, that we might become more like who Jesus would be if Jesus were me, and, uh, and then show up to the world in that way. We want to be formed more intentionally to take next steps because we all get stuck in our levels of discipleship. And so sometimes we have to break out of our patterns we've gotten used to, out of the ways of practicing our faith we've become accustomed to, and getting out of the familiar rut helps us embrace a new next step. And then the last thing, healthy leadership. What does it look like for us to have a whole body of Christ, a whole community of healers? Certainly there is a place for uh, church leadership. There's a place for church staff. There's a place for church elders. And at the same time, there's a place for all of us. There is something meaningful about the priesthood of all believers, the fact that all of us have a role to play in uh, the body of Christ. We want to create space for that as well. And then as we looked at Acts chapter 2, we noticed that some of those things worked out out best in the context of large rooms with lots of people, contexts like this, and other things work out much better in small rooms, in living rooms, in family rooms, in backyards with a handful of people. And we see that the, the early believers in Acts 2 did both those things. They gathered in the temple, they gathered in the homes. And so we want to create space for both of those things as well. And so last week's headline was that beginning in August, we are going to embrace a new model of being church together in which we worship at the Kalen Center right here three times a month. And then on the fourth Sundays of the month, we worship in smaller, mid-sized house church communities, about 30 or so people, including kids. We're going to break up into five or so locations around the area to get a little bit more hyper-local, a little bit more geographically centric, to discern the needs of Roswell or Forsyth or Johns Creek or Alpharetta or Milton and find out how do we be uh, loving neighbors there? How do we get to know each other in ways that three good minutes doesn't accommodate? You know, how do we really build and share life together? And so in these house churches, we will pray for each other. Uh, a lot of what we did this morning in Prayers of the People is an expression of what we imagine for house churches. It's hard to do in big contexts like this, but imagine sitting around a living room and really praying together. Uh, that's some of what we, we imagine. We want to, uh, yeah, we want to pray for each other. We want to build friendships. We want to engage scripture. We want to share meals. We want to celebrate communion. 
uh, and we want to love our neighbors. And so at the end of the house church, there'll be this brief time of liturgy, and then we'll just share a potluck meal together uh, and just practice the simplicity of loving God, not only through the apostles' teaching and the prayers, but through just the breaking of bread and the fellowship and the community, the friendship. Uh, And so that's where we're going. It's our way of forming neighborhood parishes, local outposts, many church communities that are led by all of us, not staff-led, not pastor-led, led by the shepherds of our church community. And so uh, we ended last week by talking about a series of questions, like, okay, okay, great, here's this model, well, let me ask you about this, and let me ask you about this, and let me ask you about this. And, and we answered a lot of those questions um, in, in the podcast last week. But I want to spend a little time over the next two weeks on two of the questions that feel like they warrant further discussion. Um, the one that we'll do next week is the question of, is this really church? Like, is a house church really church? And we'll talk a little bit on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, as it's called. What is the church? What is the meaning? What is the nature of church? And how did we across church history get from Acts chapter 2 to where we are today? And what does it look like for us to fill in those gaps? So that's next week. But my favorite question from last week and from talking to some of you, perhaps your favorite question as well, was will this, meaning house church, will house churches be messy and a bit awkward and possibly hurtful at times? Uh, That was one of the questions we asked. And the answer was a decided, like, yes, absolutely they will. Of course, of course they will. And I want to spend a little time on that today. Um, This is why we've spent much of the last year laying groundwork around things like community and conflict and reconciliation and forgiveness. How do we live in peace with one another in a world that is really bent on division and disunity right now? How do we show up differently to each other? And, uh, and so we've been talking about a lot of that vaguely, but now that the cat is out of the bag with house churches, I want to talk about some of those things more specifically around house churches, and we'll continue to do that between now and August from time to time. We'll just check in on this conversation as a way of preparing ourselves for that. Um, so there's this scene in uh, Dostoevsky's uh, The Brothers Karamazov where there's this person just you know, saying how much they want to show up as a loving person in the world. They want to offer love. They want to be involved in great works of goodness and kindness and compassion to the world. And, uh, and, and in sharing this, there's this wise response that comes from another, and, and it's this, that love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. And last week, I shared our vision for house churches and that was a lot of love in dreams, <laughs> right? It was like, I can, I can put together the 25-minute speech of how incredible this is gonna be, but now we gotta go work it out in a world where love sometimes in action feels more like a harsh and dreadful thing. And so is it going to be messy? Is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to be awkward? Sure, absolutely. So what do we do with that? Uh, we don't live in the dream world. We live in a world where things are messy. And so this morning, I want to just go to Scripture on that and try to figure out what are some early steps we can use to figure out how, as a community, we walk into this well. I think the first thing to notice is that Scripture is chock full of family dysfunction, right? It makes me feel better uh, sometimes when I read the stories of Scripture and I go, oh, this family is a mess, right? We've got sibling rivalry. We've got parental failure. We've got marital strife. We've got family infighting. The Bible is famous for its family squabbles. You've got Cain and Abel right out of the gate, you know? You've got Jacob and Esau. 
You've got Joseph and his brothers. If you look at the family of David, it was an absolute mess, right? A mess. And uh, Solomon, you know, raised by someone who was called a man after God's own heart, loses his way along the way, right? Joseph and his brothers, they're parented by a biblical hero, and yet their story is marked by bitterness, by envy, by violence, by lying, and yes, in the end, by forgiveness. You look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are placed in a garden that is called very good and parented by God himself. And we all know what happens in that story, right? So perhaps one of the takeaways right off the bat is like we can take some of the pressure off ourselves and because ultimately our stories depend less on us getting everything right and more on God and God's mercy and goodness winning the day. We can check all the boxes and sometimes life still goes way off course and so we need a story of redemption, we need a story of mercy, we need a story of salvation, right? Love is good in dreams, but now we have to work it out in the world where we're sweating in the fields or we're slopping away in the pig slop. And so this brings us to leftovers part two. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the prodigal son story off and on. And I want to circle back to it one more time. Barbara Brown Taylor calls it the parable of the dysfunctional family. Um, and uh, I think it's a fascinating look at family systems. Uh, I've never heard anybody really develop that, but I think if you look at the relational tendencies in the family that's happening in the prodigal son story, and I'll just assume we're moderately familiar with the story, uh, it's pretty fascinating to see some of the things that are in play. And so what we have in the prodigal son story is what I'm calling a family fight in the father's house, right? We have the good father in the story, representative of God, and in spite of the fact that the children are the children of the father and they are home in the father's house, they are fighting with one another. And what does that say to us about church life? What does that say to us about the fact that we can live in the father's house and still have conflict between one another? I imagine we'll have family fights in the father's house at, at house churches too. Um, I imagine that's just part of the reality. And so how does the youngest son in our story behave? How does the oldest son behave? How does the father behave? And what might we learn about the kind of family we're called to be? And so let's spend a few minutes just going through that. Uh, first of all, the, the younger son. Uh, the younger son, he has his inheritance. We all know uh, probably the edges of the story, if not the story very well. He goes to his father and he says, you know, give me my share of the inheritance. And we've talked about this off and on. The fact that the younger son even had an inheritance as a younger son in that culture meant that he was part of a family system that was generous beyond the family cultural moment of the day, right? Because younger sons didn't get inheritances often in that world. But he knew he had an inheritance. And so he's part of a generous family culture where not only the father has included him in the inheritance, but the older son has included him in the inheritance as well. And yet despite the generous family culture, despite the good soil, despite the good father that raised him, the younger son shows up in our story as demanding, as selfish, as impetuous, as self-centered, and boy, don't I sometimes too, right? Um, and he wants to get away from his family of origin. Uh, he wants to run away from the, the home that has constrained him. <laughs> and so he hits the road, he runs to the far country, and he finds what we all find is that we can move far away from our family, and the ways of relating stay in our bones. They travel with us, right? There's no running away from this stuff. 
And so ironically, then his quest for freedom leaves him going, at least I can come back as a hired hand, right? He set off to find freedom and he comes back going, maybe I'll be able to at least be a slave. And so he comes to himself, story sa- the story says, he comes to himself and he goes, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? And he says, I will get up and go back to my father. But even there, there's a little bit of a sense in the story like he's working the angles. Like we don't know how sincere he is. He wants to get back into the father's house, but perhaps even there, there's a sense of manipulation of I'll say whatever I have to say to get back into my father's good graces. So that's the, uh, the younger son. And then there's the older son. And he hears the music and the dancing. Um, Go to the next one for me, if you don't mind, David. He hears the music and the dancing, and it does not compute with his categories of fairness and justice and equal treatment. And uh, he becomes angry and refuses to go into the party. And as we think about something like house churches, as we think about something like our relationships with one another, our relationships with our families, our relationship with our friends, how often... When something violates my sense of justice or what I deserve, I become angry and I refuse to join the broader party, right? And so he's childish and he's resentful, and so the way he handles that is by withholding of his presence and giving the silent treatment to others. And boy, how often that becomes our default response. I don't like the way this is going, so I'll just leave this party. Thank you very much, right? And, uh, and, and so that's one of the ways he shows up. He, he becomes angry and he refuses to go in, and then he says to the father, the father comes out, he pleads with him, come into the party, son, come into the party. And the, the older son replies and he says, you know, I've been working like a slave for you, and you've never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf with him. There's nothing in the story that tells us that the son devoured property with prostitutes. This is the older son filling in the blanks of the story in a way that makes his younger brother look bad, right? So we have gossip going on here. We have assuming of the worst going on here. Uh, and we have, um, you know, shaming and passing of blame. Friends, there's a wild amount of ways we can fight unfairly with each other. In our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class a few weeks ago, we talked about them. We actually put them up on a board, right? Here's ways that we aggressively fight, and here's ways that we passively fight, and here's ways that we passive-aggressively fight, right? We've got all these ways of, of uh, holding ourselves back from each other. And, uh, and ultimately, then you get the, the older son here saying, you never even gave me a young goat. And it's interesting, he actually begins acting then like the younger son, You notice this? He does the same thing the younger son does. He says, well, I'm not getting what of your stuff I feel like I am deserving of. I wanted more of your stuff, Father, right? And just like the younger brother, his response then is to separate himself from the family. And this is what we do, just like Adam and Eve, right? We feel ashamed, we feel angry, we go and hide, and we withhold our presence from one another when we feel like we are at stake. And beneath all the selfishness, if we could peel back the layers of the younger son and the older son, peel back the layers, get to the heart of things, what we'll find is that under the selfishness, under the fear, under the anger, under the immaturity, is a terror that we are not well-loved. And if I don't feel like I am loved, 
then how can I show up honestly and wholeheartedly to you? Because you might wound me beyond repair, right? And so we come to our third leftovers in the epiphany season at the beginning of this year, we talked about our expectations of community life together. And what do we do when the picture that we have in our mind's eye is not matching the reality of friends and relationships and community and small groups and church that is showing up right in front of us? How do we handle that? How do we fight for healthy community and also realize that there's always going to be pain along the way? Um, And uh, so I wanna say this as we think about house churches, that healthy community with others is always and only the overflow of prior communion with God. I cannot show up well to you until I am convinced of my place in God's house of love. Uh, Nowen puts it this way. We've read this quote before, but it's so good that we'll just read it over and over and over. Uh, (laughs) He says this, we can only create real community when we first know that we are loved. Before that, we create community out of an attempt to fill our loneliness and emptiness. We try to unite two or more lonely hearts We are then putting community in the impossible place of trying to be the one we hoped for that would fill this emptiness. This can only lead to despair, resentment, and disappointment. Sooner or later, we will find that person isn't the one we hoped for. But when we first hear the voice that calls us the beloved, we can then form a home with others that is not based on needing them to give the very thing they cannot give. This is why we can only last. This is why house churches will only last. This is why community in a church will only last if our heart is first deeply rooted in God. And so to the degree that I'm convinced I'm loved well by God, I no longer need to get from you what you cannot give to me. And so what that means is all of us, if we're gonna do this thing as a community, we gotta commit to spending time first in the Father's house. We gotta hear the word from the Father that says, son, you are always with me. Daughter, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It's like Jesus said, I have got to go to my Father's house, right? I must be in my Father's house because otherwise our life gets defined by the far country or the fields that we're working in and I lose my ability to relate to you around a feast because I'm just, I'm too obsessed with what happened in the far country of the slop of my life, or I'm too obsessed with the work that I'm doing over here, and I don't know how to just show up to you as a, as a fellow brother or sister in this family. And so, uh, I want to end with just a few thoughts on how the father shows us a better way. We know what the younger son does, we know what the older son does. What is the better way? And how might we embrace the better way? And here's what I wanna say. First of all, secure in his place, the father gives of himself for the sake of others. He gives of his property, he gives of the fatted calf, he gives of his forgiveness, and he uh, allows himself to be used up for the sake of others because he is secure in the love that is his. Uh, And then second, he doesn't give up on relationship or responsibility. He refuses to give up on those things. There's this fascinating thing that happens in the text here. The older son says, when this son of yours came back, you killed the fatted calf for him. And this is the kind of language that shows up repeatedly in Scripture, if you pay attention. In, In the very early story, you have Adam saying to God, this woman that you gave me is the reason I ate the apple, right? Or you have Moses arguing with God and he says, these people that you gave me caused me to 
you know, break away from faithfulness to you. You have the son saying, this son of yours. What does the father do in response? Look at the next words that come out of the father's mouth. If you go to the next one for me. He says, we had to celebrate and rejoice, the bottom here, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. So whereas the older son goes, that son of yours, the father immediately echoes back, that brother of yours, right? You don't get to get out of the relationship of this family. You don't get to exempt yourself from responsibility to be with those who you share life with. And so the father is driving back into relationship. I want to always give the caveat here. There are unhealthy, abusive, coercive, toxic relationships that we should remove ourselves from. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? So put that in a different category. I'm happy to always talk about that with anybody who would like to. That's a pastoral issue. That's an issue for therapy and counseling and friendship and discernment. But I'm talking about just the rub of everyday relationships. This person gets on my nerves. This person wounded me. This person upset me. The father drives us back into relationship with others. And then finally, he pursues others and he risks both pain and reconciliation. He risks the pain and the risk of reconciliation coming. And so what we have here is the story of two lost sons, the younger son and the older son. And we know the father famously runs toward the younger son. He embraces him. He says, welcome home. Your pig slop doesn't define you or our relationship. But notice the father also runs to the older son. He leaves the party that he is the host at which would be totally scandalous also in the story, right? He has scandalously pursued the younger son. Now he leaves the party and scandalously pursues the older son in order to plead for him to come into the party, to join the, the, the world of grace where there is more than enough and you are always with me and all that I have is yours. And so come on into this party already, right? And that's what I want to encourage us as a church as we move toward this. Like, come on into this party already. Yeah, we're all hurt. Yeah, we're all rough around the edges. Yeah, we're all going to step on each other's toes at times. Let's get into this party together. Let's work it out in a world of grace. And so in the months ahead, we're going to talk about new skills to love well. We'll talk about really practical tools like listening. Sometimes just half the battle is listening. Really listening. We'll talk about boundaries and assumptions and truth-telling and triggers and staying in the room when there is difference between our opinions. But I want to end now with just uh, this idea that as famous as Scripture is for its squabbles, even more so, Scripture is famous for its family healing. And at the end of the story, Esau embraces Jacob, and at the end of the story, Joseph embraces his brothers, and at the end of the story, the father embraces his younger son and his older son. And so it's the last week of Easter season. We move to Pentecost next week. When we talk about resurrection life in the here and now, I think it often looks like reconciliation. If we want to talk resurrection, we have to talk reconciliation with one another, with our world. And so in the family of Jesus, in the Father's house of love, there's always going to be fights, and so we need mothers and fathers. And what I mean by that is this. Me and you, we're always going to be lost sons and daughters. We're always going to have our religious assumptions about us, right? We're always going to have siblings. Look around the room. We've got a lot of siblings in this room, brothers and sisters. 
But as we mature, we are invited to also become spiritual fathers and mothers for the sake of others. And I want to ask you to reflect on what might it look like for me to grow in that between now and August when we show up to these house churches? What does it look like for me to grow into joy and responsibility of the Father's better way, letting go of some of these old ways of relating that I know are not as healthy in order to be secure in the Father's love that I might love others well as well? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we are excited about what's ahead in our community life. And I want to be honest about the pain and the fact that just, of course, this will be messy. And of course, uh, you know, I don't even want to make light of that. Like, there might be real pain. Uh, It's easier to control things by putting a church in straight little rows and a microphone only into the hands of a few people. It's just easier. But I don't think it's what you have for us. Help us to risk all of that in the way of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.